0: Tonight, I want to talk to you about boundaries. Now, I know most of you know what that is. Um, It's not exactly easy to create a boundary. It's especially not easy to enforce a boundary. Uh, We're not even good at creating civilized boundaries for ourselves within society. It's hard to draw boundaries, but... uh, uh, Boundaries are the healthy fences that mark off our relational space with other people. I'm going to let you think about that for a second. Boundaries are the healthy fences that keep some things in, other things out, that mark off our relational space with other people. How many of you need boundaries in your life? You ought to all have your hands raised. If you do not know about boundaries, you need to really, really listen tonight. On one side of the fence are all the issues that one person must own. And on the other side of the fence are all the the issues that the other person needs to take care of. Healthy boundaries allow us to say yes at the appropriate times and no at the right time. Okay, question. How many of you have difficulty saying no? How many of you have difficulty raising your hand when someone asks you, do you have difficulty saying no? (laughs) Maybe you've drawn boundaries in some of your relationships. Or maybe you have at least felt the pain that the lack of boundaries causes. I'll never forget the time when I first read uh, uh, Boundaries by Cloud and Townsend. And by the way, if you've not read that book, it is an absolutely must read for you. I was so psyched up about learning this concept of boundaries. I remember reading it and comprehending for the first time in my life. I'm a little bit compliant. I tend to default, especially if it's somebody I respect, somebody I want their approval, I want their okay. I tend to default to try to please them. I remember reading the book and throwing it down on the table with this new awareness, this courage rising up inside of me. I'm fed up. I'm not going to take it anymore. And I start oozing this confidence through my veins, and I kind of thought to myself, now, who can I draw a boundary on now? Now, there's this guy that uh, um, I was doing some counseling with a number of years ago. His name was Mario, and uh, uh, he, he'd kind of been sucking the life out of me. Mario's this guy who had a problem. I was trying to help him, and, <laughs> and I made the mistake of giving him my cell phone number. I never encouraged counselors to give their clients telephone numbers, but I, but, but I did. And, and so he began to use that incessantly. So I decided that I was going to have to draw a boundary. I'm going to make him eat a little dirt. I was going to go make some walls for the little vampire. And so I called Mario on the phone, and I said, Mario, it's Bob. Uh, yes, I have your phone number too, and I want to meet you at Starbucks Coffee at noon. I want to talk to you. And then I just hung up. So I figured, you know, He's not going to burst out crying in a public place like that. (laughs) So I walked into the coffee place, and he was already there, already ordered his latte. I ordered an ice latte because I'm feeling kind of stone cold, and I sit down with him. Uh, Then there in that conversation, I completely chickened out. I mean, I reached down, and I take a drink, and I thought, this isn't working for me. I thought about it. It's hard to be a tough guy when you're just slurping on a little bitty straw. And uh, the more I thought about it, the more I realized I'm not quite that tough guy at all. And I began to think about Mario, and, and, uh, and if I took away my cell phone number from him or started to draw some lines, this could turn ugly very quick, you know. He might go off on me, or worse yet, he might spiral into some kind of depression. So no lie, right there in that conversation, I completely chickened out. By the end of the conversation, I was apologizing to Mario for not being a better friend. I gave him my address. Don't stop by any time. Uh, <laughs> so friends, when it comes to drawing boundaries, we have to all realize that many times the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Right? I mean, we have some intentions, we get motivated, especially after hearing a message on boundaries. Uh, You get a little bit into the process, somebody pushes back on you, and you begin to feel ashamed, like I did with Mario. It's hard to draw those kind of boundaries. What's, What's wrong with us? I mean, why do we crave people's affirmation so much that we want them to like us, we want them to approve of us, And it is very often in this pursuit of that approval that our lives become absolutely insane. Any of you sitting here tonight? I wonder what our identity is after a while. So we find ourselves stuck in the middle, not being able to live with the pursuit of other people's approval, not being able to live without the pursuit of other people's approval, with or without. I want you to consider some of the people in your life right now. I want you to consider some of the people that you might need to draw a boundary on in your life right now. And I want you to ask yourself, what sort of consequences are going to arise if I really draw boundaries? And is it worth it for me to assert myself? Would you like to know the top three relationships where boundaries are most frequently needed and used? Here's the top three. Number one. Adult children to their parents. Isn't that an interesting one? What does that tell you? It tells you parents haven't learned how to let go and to begin to view their children as adults yet. They're still trying to parent them. Adult children to their parents. Number two, spouses to each other. About 68% of wives to husband, about 32% of husbands to wives. A little bit weighted on the female side there. Number three, employees to employers, most frequently women to men, and most frequently in high-pressured jobs. Okay, you getting some ideas? In Matthew 3 and Matthew 4, by the time Jesus reaches about the age of 30, he's decided what sort of person, he has to decide what sort of person he is going to be in public. He's wrestled with all sorts of uh, boundaries that he needs to draw around his identity and around his purpose in life. Before Jesus goes into public ministry, this simple guy from the town of Nazareth was a sort of normal-appearing Jewish male. Even his name Jesus was a very common name. He's just an average, run-of-the-mill carpenter from a small town in Nazareth. He's the son of an average Joe. (laughs) Come on, that's a little funny joe joseph never mind okay we'll draw a boundary around bad puns so one day jesus shows up at the banks of the jordan river and his cousins there dunking people in the water as a sign of their commitment to god as a sign of their repentance and john sees jesus coming this ordinary guy in ordinary clothes what does he say about him behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world People there all along the banks of the River Jordan must have been thinking, what, this simple guy from Nazareth? He's the Messiah? He's the Lamb of God? Nevertheless, Jesus wants uh, John to baptize him. You might wonder why. Uh, why would Jesus need to be baptized? The answer is actually in Matthew three fifteen. It says it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then, of course, John consents. He goes down into the water, and we pick it up there. It says, after being baptized, Jesus comes up immediately out of the water. And behold, the heavens are opened up, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove, lighting upon him. And behold, a voice out of heaven says, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The moment before, the people are thinking, this is the Lamb of God? This is the woodworker from Nazareth? So now God the Father is saying, yep, that's the guy. He's my Son. I'm very well pleased with him people standing on the riverbanks would have been dumbfounded by this because undoubtedly they pictured the messiah coming completely different they're hoping for this great military leader that would rescue them from their roman oppressors or maybe they were anticipating this ultra charismatic politico who had royal thrones all over the world but instead jesus comes here's the scene he gets this miraculous blessing from the father in heaven so people are aware he is the messiah But the question is, what sort of Messiah is he going to be? As you read through the Gospels, you're going to see person after person struggling with this question. Religious leaders, disciples, even John the Baptist struggle with the question of who Jesus is. After all, look at all Jesus had been through. So it seems that everyone has their own agenda for Jesus. He's going to have to think about it. I have to believe that he's wondering what sort of Messiah he himself would be. How is he going to accomplish the Father's purpose on this planet? Now, to get some clarity on this, Jesus goes off into the wilderness to fast and pray for 40 days and nights. Now, I'm leading you up to a point here. It is the fasting. It is in this fasting, Jesus sees himself accurately. It is in this solitude that he hears the voice of God. Can I say something to you? If you are struggling with saying yes and no at the right time, if you're struggling with boundaries, It is this process of getting alone with God that we learn to hear his voice, that we find the courage to say no. So the story goes on from there. He's confronted by Satan, and he's going to be tempted, and the devil uh, gives him three temptations, and they are the three tests to determine what sort of boundaries would Jesus have on his public and private life as he accomplishes his mission. Men and women, I believe they're the same boundaries, excuse me, the same temptations that you and I face when we wonder if it's really worth it to pursue our own boundaries. So this evening, we're going to take our cues from Jesus about how we react to boundaries that are hard or how we react when people put our boundaries to the test. I want to visit the occasion of each of Jesus' temptations that he faced, and I'm going to connect our own struggles with boundaries, with what he is tested about. I want to talk about how do you pass those tests and how do you draw stronger boundaries because, in, in, in fact, each one of Jesus' temptations are a challenge to a boundary in his life. Are you all okay with that? Okay. First temptation is that of turning the stones into the bre- into bread, a.k.a. control your own survival. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, uh, he then became hungry. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. How many of you have ever done a 40-day fast? A few of you? Laura and I have done a couple of them over the years. Could you go without food that long? I mean, especially hiking around in the desert like that. I kind of wondered about it now. It's been a few years since I've done that. Uh, I don't think I'm really a good spiritual example when it comes to fasting. Um, (laughs) My wife's laughing. I'm more like the pizza delivery guy because it combines my two favorite things in the whole world, eating and sitting on my butt. So... (laughs) obviously jesus has more willpower than that after 40 days of fasting he's physically weak but he's spiritually very connected to god so satan comes satan the word literally means accuser so he comes to deceive him at his point of weakness pause there for a moment where does he come to deceive you at come on talk to me at your point of weakness at your point of weakness, not just spiritual weakness, your physical weakness, your emotional weakness, when you're tired, when you're worn out, when you have no more in the reservoir. That's when he comes. I believe that the devil is a very real force in this world, and one of his main MOs is to tempt us during our greatest points, tempt us at our greatest point of weakness, and at these times he attempts to deceive us. He attempts to to tempt Jesus at this point of hunger hey, Jesus, wouldn't a nice steak roast beef and Yorkshire pudding? Wouldn't? (laughs) Jesus, you have the power to create some food for yourself so you can eat. The implication is that Jesus could create bread for a lot of people. You have the power to satisfy people's wants. There are these stones all over the wilderness, lots of hungry voters out there. Remember, this is how political careers get made. You give people what they want, they're going to adore you. This is the sort of Messiah that a lot of the people wanted. A Messiah who can meet their needs. Remember the crowds that he drew as he fed people? You want to know how to fill the church? (laughs) Feed them. It has to have, it was, excuse me, a tempting proposition because he's hungry. Now, most of you remember Jesus knows he has power. Within his hands, there's the power to create. In John 6, you read the story of him feeding 5,000. He has the power to satisfy people's wants. But what this temptation is really about is the need to control your own survival, to take the easy way out, to impress people a little bit. So Jesus cracks back on Satan, quoting quoting Deuteronomy 8.3, he says, The Lord humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna that you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So Jesus right there draws a boundary. He says, I'm not going to be the kind of culinary messiah. I'm not going to be a financial king. Uh, I'm even going to refuse just to meet people's wants. I'm also going to meet their needs. Women and men have much greater need for food than just bread. It is a need to connect in a spiritual way with their heavenly father. And Jesus says, that's what I have to offer. So let me ask you a question. What is it that you feel you need from other people? Love, approval, acceptance. What are you willing to do? What are you willing to do? for other people to get this need met. Is this a survival issue for you? Are you thinking? I remember as a teenager I had quite a few friends that would confess very private painful things to me and I felt like it sometimes I was kind of the priest for my friends. It was a pattern that was very comfortable for me. And I would exchange emotional help and people would give me kind of self-esteem back. But it also would let me hold people at a distance while I'm helping them because I would hear their problems, but I wouldn't share mine. A lot of people understand the concept of boundaries. They get it. A lot of you have even read the book You may have tried it a few times. You may have even seen the benefits of boundaries. But then we reach a point where boundaries become a very difficult thing to do. How many of you have tried to say no and have that no resisted in a relationship? There are a lot of different ways to look at this. But the way that makes the most sense is that using boundaries sometimes is based on a need to survive. It's a coping skill that we develop as a result of things that have happened to us during our formative years. I call it a default behavior. Uh, It's kind of weird to think of boundaries in terms of survival because usually we think of things like food and water and shelter, you know, the most basic things. But sometimes because we live in a broken world, we still have to cope. And when others encroach upon our area of need, then boundaries are a must. You don't have to turn on the TV more than two or three minutes. You hear stories of pain all about us, lots of stress. And for some of us, that starts at a very early age. Some are born into families where there's dysfunction and abuse. There's chaos starting at a very early age. And you have to develop some way to deal with it, some way to survive. Then a lot of times, those learned patterns carry over into adulthood and you're trying to set a boundary and you get pushed back again a bit and you you default into those behaviors that you used to do as a kid that you don't really even like default behaviors tend to hinder us from forming boundaries let me give you a couple of them there are a lot of different examples but one i'm the one i was using in my own personal life is that of a priest or a counselor um this is the kind of person that, that, that always enjoys, they're the mercy-oriented person, they enjoy other people telling them their problems, uh, in fact, they eventually become dependent on other people needing them. But if you find yourself at that point of need, it can really be difficult. Difficult. Let me give you another example. Uh, This is a default behavior, a behavior that hinders us from being able to accurately and clearly put down boundaries. I call it the caretaker. Uh, A person in the family is sick. Another becomes a caretaker so early in life, even as a kid, they learn to vacuum. They learn how to do all the adult chores, going around making sure mom and dad are okay, making sure everybody's happy with each other. And then later in life, they don't know what to do with themselves unless somebody has a problem that they can take care of. Most of the times it's at the expense of taking care of themselves. That's the caretaker. Let me give you another. The peacemaker. These are ones during the formative years. Mom, dad, probably an alcoholic. Uh, They're the go-to for mom and dad. So dad doesn't really talk to mom. Mom doesn't really talk to dad. They send the other one. and, and, And they're kind of secretly assigned with bringing peace into the home. Then as an adult, they find their purpose and meaning being in the middle of conflict and discord. Every time you find conflict and discord, they'll be right in the middle of it. Am I doing okay? Y'all getting this? Okay. Then my favorite is the cruise director or the planner. (laughs) This is the person who has found planning as the key to controlling chaos in life. Later in life, they're the ones everybody looks to to have a plan. Uh, They're the ones that lay out their clothes for the next day. They make sure the lunches are packed. They tend to be the ones to organize and coordinate everything. Friday night comes around. They're the ones everybody looks to for the weekend plans. The downside of this is that when the unexpected comes... Your sense of safety is really challenged. They tend to become the one who steps on other people's boundaries to take care of their people because their safety is threatened. So, what do you do if you need to draw a boundary and you feel yourself slipping back into one of those roles, one of those default behaviors? Well, part of it is recognizing that no matter what, there are things in life that are going to come along and threaten your abilities to cope and to survive. You're working hard on these, only frequently pushes people away. The control you're holding on to isn't real unless you have God inside providing for your survival. How do I discover my boundary defaults? Let me give you a couple of thoughts. Number one, what is it that I do that triggers me? What is it I do to try to survive? It triggers me. It causes me to go back into default. Number two, try to find an example of a relationship or a situation where it gets worse, where I begin to default. For example, it happens when I'm at work or it happens when I get pressured into saying yes. So each time that you face a particular situation or relationship, realize that it's going to be tough when I face this or do this. So before you go to those situations, ask God to fill you with his peace, his comfort, his calmness. So when you go into that situation, you're conscious that he's with you. Now if you get into a situation and forget God's there, (laughs) it's time to embrace the bathroom rule. How many of you know the bathroom rule? This is where you get to go to the bathroom for a few minutes. You get away from the situation. It's also called a timeout, where you can get away. You just explain to them you have a bladder issue. Uh yeah. And 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 if people aren't playing along, <laughs> you got to get away. You got to detach from the situation for a moment. Y'all okay with that? Okay. Trying to have control in life. Controlling your own survival. Here's what I want you to hear out of that first temptation. I want you to hear that sometimes there are triggers that get touched that will default us into old ways of behavior. Every one of us sitting here will have those. And those many times will hinder us from putting down an appropriate boundary. We'll default into a behavior. That is a complying behavior, not one that is designed for health and well-being. OK? So Satan comes to Jesus, tells him to turn the stones to bread. How many of you know he could do that? How many of you know he's hungry? Appeals to every piece of weakness in Jesus that could possibly be there physically or emotionally. Yet he refuses to take up the place of self-control. I can't help but believe many times when we choose that place of self-control. That's when we find ourselves defaulting into the way we used to be. Controlling. Complying. Caregiver. Tour director, planner. (laughs) All right, I'm just, I want to make sure you're tracking. So I'm trying to watch your eyes. Okay, number two, second temptation Jesus faced. Hey, Jesus, come jump from the top of the temple, a.k.a. do something really cool to prove yourself. <laughs> the devil took him to the top of the holy city, Matthew 4, 5 through 7, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands you will bear, they will bear you up so that you shall not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Veiled in Satan's uh, comments is this subtle accusation. Hey, Jesus, you kind of have a PR problem. Come on, Jesus. Uh, You need to work on your marketing a little bit. I mean, look, you're born in a manger. You have these callous carpenter hands. And Jesus, this is so, you know, B.C. era, and you need to be about the A.D. era. And the only man promoting use this wild man who's in the desert eating locusts and honey and wears camel hair. Jesus, what you really need to do is get the people's attention. It's to get a little spice, add a little excitement so that they're going to be impressed. So he hints that Jesus should go up to the top of the temple, Solomon's porch probably. And, and Jesus responds and he says, hey Lucifer, that's not the way it's going to be. Psalms 91 says, And he says, I I know Psalms 91 is true because I actually know the guy who wrote it. Uh, Verse 14, because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. Jesus says, Lucifer, what this passage is actually about is that my father loves me. I acknowledge him. Our relationship is built on an ability uh, to get to pass this free gift of love from one to another and to not to have to impress one another did you hear that so the only approval i need is god's approval so today there's going to be no triple gainers off the portico so for each of us here today the question comes to us what do people do to put you and i to the test what do people require of you to bend over backwards so you can prove you actually care Y'all are quiet. I mean, the need to prove our loves to others is really a way we have of messing up boundaries. Uh, it would be naive to say that we don't appreciate uh, what the things that people do for us. And it feels good when they when we do things for other people. I think you and I have to define the line between really enjoying that, both giving and receiving it, and it becoming something we're dependent on to prove ourselves within a relationship to prove our authenticity within a relationship let me use food for an illustration i was trying to think of one this afternoon the best i could come up with i was hungry Um, (laughs) the difference between nourishment and dessert so the nourishment is knowing that you are worthy of receiving love and what you are also capable of giving love with no strings attached you believe it you receive it you accept it nourishment Then the strings attached with the dessert, not the nourishment, but the dessert, are the good things that come along with that. Babysitting at the last moment, helping a friend move, taking a chance to say yes to a a commitment. All of those things have strings attached to it. So when it starts to become a problem, it starts to become a problem when you start to to have those things to prove that your love is real and authentic. Where's the number one place that boundaries are needed and used? I just gave it to you. That's a statistic. Adult children to their parents. Mom and dad. Oh, we'll keep the kids. Oh, we'll keep the kids again. Oh, we'll keep the kids again. Then all of a sudden the time occurs and mom and dad, it's an inconvenient and they can't keep the kids. Are are y'all getting... (laughs) And then what usually happens? Then somebody throws down, slaps down the shame card. If you really love me, you would. When that card's played, you need to do a couple of things on the inside and a couple of things on the outside. First of all, inside, you need to remind yourself that what you are doing is from an abundance of love. Keep your love on, an abundance of love Townsend and Cloud talk about this in their book on boundaries to make sure that everything you're doing is coming from an abundance of love, not from a feeling of guilt or a feeling of sadness uh, where you have to react to someone who's shaming you or react to their manipulation, but you're acting out of a heart of love. So in that situation, you want to remind yourself of the goal, I want my yes to be coming from an abundance of love. Keep your love on. Another thing you might want to remember You're not doing the person any favors when you acquiesce. Okay, I'll keep the baby and say yes. Because they're trying to control you. Just like you, they have some fear. So it helps them feel a sense of control if they can force everyone around them to say yes. So basically you're perpetuating what they're already doing. Then thirdly, what you do on the outside is basically this. Say, I care about you, I care about the relationship or whatever it is, but I'm saying no to this request at this time. Now some of you are smiling because you know, as I know, that's a whole lot easier to say than it is to do. If you're stuck and it's really difficult for you to follow through with that kind of thing again, buy yourself some time. Take a potty break. Get away from the situation. Tell the person you need to think about it. Go collect your thoughts rather than letting your feelings lead. If that person is unwilling to give you that time and they have to have an immediate answer and they're pressuring you, then that's a sign that there could probably be some other problems in the relationship that you need to address. You don't have to make that decision immediately. I'm looking at you one at a time as we're connecting eyes. You're giving me the head nod. Okay. There's possibly some people here tonight That saying no or pressing a boundary could put you in physical danger. I hope not, but it could. And if you are in an abusive relationship, I want to put the little addendum that they put on commercials at television. Don't try this at home. Okay? There are groups designed for those domestic violence situations. If you need help of this kind, then please let one of us know. Reach out. We will help you, help you get connected. All right? I'm talking about boundaries. A third temptation that Jesus faced is to bow down and worship someone else, a.k.a. you can have the world if you say yes. Matthew 4, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to them, all of these things will be given to you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It's a little bit hard to discern what's physically happening in this passage. Maybe Satan and Jesus are viewing this panoramic uh, vista overlooking the Palestinian roads, roads that lead to some of the major empires of the world, to the west, Rome, to the east, the uh, ex-Persian empire, to the south, the Egyptians. The bottom line is, is that Satan is making him an offer that is somewhat realistic. In many respects, the institutions of this world do not belong to God. Satan says, you can have everything I have if you'll bow down and worship me. Now, there's something hard for you to pick up in an English translation that you can pick up if you read Greek and if you know the tenses in Greek. There's a, a, a tense that's called an aorist tense. But basically what it is showing is Satan is asking for a one-time only deal. This isn't a stretched out commitment. He's not asking for Jesus to convert over to the dark side. It's a one-time, quick, bow down, then move on, get on with your life. Take this one-time deal. Take a shortcut. Take the easy way out. This would be the way that Jesus could avoid suffering, avoid being misunderstood. It's an opportunity for, for him to not have to deal with the unbelieving religious leaders, the flaky friends, but most important, this offer is a shortcut for the cross. Satan was saying, all you have to do is to take care of this my way and not God's way. When we don't set our wills to do the things God's way, to do things God's way, people and circumstances in this world will try to make our decisions for us. Have you ever noticed that? If you don't have a strong opinion about something, the world will try to squeeze you into its mold. Boundaries are so incredibly important because everybody else has an agenda for you. And sometimes that agenda is at odds with what God has in store for you. And that's why Jesus retorts back from another passage in Deuteronomy 6.13. It's our job as human beings. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only, not serve the wishes of the agendas of others. I'm glad Jesus said no to Satan. Satan. I'm also so glad that he suppressed his hunger and didn't turn stones into bread. I'm glad he didn't feel the need to impress people and jump off the temple. I'm glad he didn't bow down. I'm wondering about you. Is your commitment to serving someone else interfering with serving God right now? I could ask that about husbands and wives. I could ask that about employers and employees. So what happens to our calling, our purpose in life, when we concede our boundaries to someone else? What happens? It's a risk you take when you're overcommitted, isn't it? I frequently hear about people talking about their lives and how chaotic and out of control they are. It is part of how we feel at the time. You meet people who can't even find 20 minutes to be still, which is the amount of time it takes for us to know what God really is intending for us to do or not do. A lot of these are really good things. It is commitments to your family, your friends, your church, but sometimes those out of order are even too much. Am am I just talking to myself or are you all okay with this? On the flip side of that, there are others that have had their boundaries so damaged and have been hurt by people so much that they've retreated. They may have a lot of downtime, but that time is not spent in solitude hearing the voice of God. It's spent building a thick wall around them. When you're too busy and too chaotic and too hectic, when you have really a thick wall around you, it's difficult for God to fit in anywhere. So the way we do, the the way to do this is to try to create some space for both situations where you're quiet, where you're vulnerable, where you're open. Just for a short amount of time. Maybe an hour. Just for hearing. You do need to slow down. You need to take time to listen. Y'all ought to be shouting by now. That's right. Be still and open up to what God is trying to say to you. And my theory is this. If you'll do that just one time, he'll probably call you back and you'll do it again and again. In fact, it'll probably become an incorporated practice in your life where you sit and learn to be still and hear the voice of God. A lot of methods to do it but he wants to speak to you. You may be resonating with what I'm saying. You may be asking, what's the next step? If you have a healthy relationship with a person in your life, talk to that person. Tell them what you want to work on. If you're struggling with a boundary, find a counselor. Find, find a third party that can help you navigate this difficulty. Well, there was the moment in the life of Jesus where he had to identify the type of Messiah he's going to become. On this day, for some of us here, when we say yes or no to a boundary, is the time where we actually allow what other people are doing to define us or not define us. So what type of sons and daughters are we going to be? What type of brothers and sisters are we going to be? Employers and employees, friends, are we going to have healthy boundaries? I believe that there's the temptation to say yes to some very unrealistic demands that people place on us. And I believe that that temptation stems from the very force of evil that's in this world. In other words, I believe that the same one who authored the temptations of Jesus is the one who authors temptations to us. Satan knows if we don't get this boundary thing right, it's going to be impossible for us to live a full, content, satisfying, complete life. The kind God intended for us. So, again, will we have healthy boundaries? Or not. Now, I didn't tell you how to create a boundary. That's a seminar within itself, really a helpful one. I didn't tell you all the different pieces of a boundary. I just talked to you about why boundaries don't get put into our lives. Men and women, that is a very, very sad reality because without boundaries, others will define you, others will determine your agenda. And you'll find yourself at the end of life exhausted and unfulfilled. But the choice is yours. You say it's not that easy. Yeah, boundaries never are easy, are they? Because we love the people many times that we have to put boundaries up with. We love them deeply. We don't want to say no. But sometimes our lack of saying no It's just enabling them as well as depriving us. Are you all okay with that?